to enter into his presence. We have invitation to enter into the presence of an eternal, infinite, almighty God that loves you and cares for you more than we'll ever understand. What an awesome God. Amen. We could turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We'll read one verse. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Amen. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our service. Uh, We'll be speaking for a few minutes on this topic. Obscurity or the search for meaning. Lord Jesus, we do give glory and honor unto you. Thank you so very much for all that you've done thus far in our service. The blessings, the ministration of your spirit that has been poured out upon each of us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray, God, that you would continue to do so for the remainder of our service, that you would be present here, that you would do what only you can do. We release you, Lord Jesus, to do what only you can do in this service. We will wait upon the Lord our God. We will give glory and honor unto you, and we will thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done here this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're expecting awesome things of an awesome God today. Thank you, Jesus, not because we're worthy, not because of who we are, but for your great name's sake and because of your desire to pour out good things upon your children. We have confidence in you today, not in ourselves, not in each other, but our confidence is in the Lord our God, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We give glory and honor. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless each of you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. There is a great big question to life. And that question is basically, why? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why is any of this here? And this big question is uh, what we're going to be talking about today. No small question is going to do for us this morning. We want to tackle the big one. Why? What is the meaning of life? And more specifically, after we answer that, why am I here? What is my purpose? Sometimes we get into situations in our lives where we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing, and we're doing it, and we feel fulfilled, and we we wake up excited. We can't wait to get up in the morning because this is what I am supposed to be doing with my life, and I feel so fulfilled and and so uh, thankful to be a part of this. And other times in our lives, it's really hard to get out of bed because We either aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing or we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, this that I'm doing right now, I know I'm not supposed to be doing. I don't like it. Uh, And so uh, we find ourselves in, in 
some combination of this, most likely. Uh, we understand that we're here for a reason. We understand that God created us with purpose. Not everybody does understand that. Not everybody has that understanding. We'll be talking about that a little bit. But more importantly for us today, those joining us online, we get into a place, even when we understand these things, we get into places of what the title says, obscurity. A place where we're not really noticed. A place where we're, we're, we feel like we've been forgotten. Uh, we don't really count toward anything. I've been there, and I don't doubt that you guys have been there at some point or another. <clears throat> it's a bad place to be. It's not a true place. It's a lie. But we feel that way nonetheless. And we, we look at all the evidence, and it seems to stack up. I'm not making a difference. I don't count toward anything. I... I don't matter. And so, certainly those who don't have the hope that we have feel that way. But we can get to the place in our lives where we feel that way too. I looked up some quotes of uh, different people that uh, had something to say about the topic. And uh, a guy by the name of Joseph Campbell, I don't know who some of these people are, but uh, this guy says, the meaning of life is whatever you ascribe it to be. Being alive is the meaning. Is that true? Is that false? How would we know? How would Mr. Campbell know if he's right or wrong? By what authority does he get to say this? These are questions we have to ask. The Dalai Lama says this, Our prime purpose in this life is to help others. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. <laughs> Nothing wrong with helping others. But is that the, the purpose of life? Is that right? How would we know? Here's a quote. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, there's no surprise there, right? I wasn't surprised either. By what authority does he say this? Is, is that the purpose of life? Jim Henson says... Life is meant to be fun and joyous and fulfilling. May each of yours be that. Is the purpose of life to have fun? How would we know? Mahatma Gandhi says, Every moment of your life is infinitely creative and the universe is endlessly bountiful. Just put forth a clear enough request and everything your heart desires must come to you. Is that true? Is Mahatma Gandhi an infinite being? Does he know that the universe is endlessly bountiful, infinitely creative? 
Or does he just believe that? Or does he just hope that? In moments of clarity, those who have traced their belief systems down to their logical conclusions have written about them. Now, we're going to talk more about this on our Wednesday class, but we want to be able to trace our belief systems, our worldviews, to their logical conclusion. What does this bring me in the end? When people have done that, philosophers, uh, different people who, who like to think about these things, when they have done that, they come up with some pretty startling conclusions. Jean-Paul Sartre says this, Man is a useless passion. It is meaningless that we live, and it is meaningless that we die. Yeah. But I tell you what, folks, what people believe out outside of these four walls, if you trace their belief system all the way down to the end, that's exactly what you would come up with, too. Anita Diamant says, The sound of the wind was just more proof that the workings of the world were random, that beauty, like suffering, was meaningless, that human life was as pointless as waves on sand. There are people that believe this way because that's what their worldview leads them to. Kamal Dowd says this, I'm so old that I often tell myself on nights when multitudes of stars are sparkling in the sky, there must necessarily be something to be discovered from living so long. Living, what an effort. At the end, there must necessarily be, there has to be, some sort of essential revelation. It shocks me, this disproportion between my insignificance and the vastness of the cosmos. I often think there must be something all the same, something in the middle between my triviality and the universe. Victor E. Frankel, a survivor of the Holocaust, has this to say, probably concerning these individuals. As to the causation of the feeling of meaninglessness, one may say, albeit in an oversimplifying way, that people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but no meaning. All through history, we have writings, we have scratchings, we have students' writings, commentaries, on philosophers and religious people that seek to try to answer these big questions, questions such as we're posing this morning. Why? Why do we exist? Why is anyone here? Other questions would be, what meaning does my life have? What happens when I die? How did all of this come to be? These are answers that people are seeking. Questions that they have, and they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in philosophy, human philosophy. Now, there is a, there is a godly philosophy that we need to adhere to. 
We'll talk about that. But there is a human philosophy that we need to avoid like the plague. Because in and of ourselves, church, our human reasoning is broke. We have the capacity to reason, but it is very faulty. And it is broken. And if we don't temper it with the Word of God, if we don't temper it with revealed truth, we will come to some very weird conclusions. And all you have to do to verify that is read some of these people's writings. C.S. Lewis has this to say, All that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's true. Anything but God. Give me anything else, people will say. The most ardent atheists, the most ardent humanists, are backslidden Christians. Do you know why that is? Because nobody can hate God like somebody that knows Him first. The atheist that has never known God, you can talk to them. You can reason with them. They don't believe in God simply because they've never really had a chance to. But that, that, that atheist that, that has a hatred for God, that, that wants to push his atheism, I promise you it's because he's had a relationship with God and, and he's broken it. Something happened, and now he's mad at God. He believes in God. He has to to hate him that much. Without God, there are only two conclusions one can come to, as I see it, concerning the meaning of life. The first is there is no meaning. We're a cosmic accident. We're a joke. Some cosmic joke. The other answer is we ascribe meaning externally and artificially to certain particulars in our lives. And what I mean by that is there's no meaning in here. There's no meaning out there. I believe that there is meaning to life. Everybody believes that my life has some value, some meaning, inherently. Let's call that a presupposition. The problem is, they can't explain why they believe that. Because their worldview won't allow for it. And so what they do is they take these particulars in their lives and they, and they try to find meaning in those. Uh, I'm really going to just doubt on my kids. I'm going to find meaning in, in, in raising children. Or I'm going to find meaning in a, in a job, in a, in a career. I'm going to just pour myself into that and be the best this that I can be. That's going to be my focus, my meaning for, for living. Uh, a sport. If I'm really good at sports, I can find meaning in, in football or baseball or, or skating, whatever it is. And I'm just going to focus on that, and that's going to be the focus of my life. And that's what's going to give my life meaning. Because there's no meaning out here. 
And I can't find anything in here. So I have to find something artificially. And that's what people do. That's how they find meaning. That's how they, they derive meaning. The problem with that, of course, is that once that's taken away, for whatever reason, if I'm really good at football and I get a, a football injury, and I'm out, I can't play football anymore. Now what do I do? That's what gave my life meaning. What do I have left? And you see what people do with that. They commit suicide. They go into drugs and alcohol. Try to numb the, the pain. Because their life has no meaning anymore. That's simply not true. With God, there are only two two conclusions that I can see concerning the meaning of life. <clears throat> Either A, God has forgotten about me. He doesn't know where I'm at. I've somehow disqualified myself from, from serving him. I'm no longer a part of God's plan. Or, in times of obscurity, when I when I start feeling this way, I can realize that God knows exactly where I'm at, and in his time, God will do amazing things through me again. Now, our scripture text is uh, kind of reflecting the worldview of some of these people who don't know God. This word vanity could easily be replaced meaningless. All is meaningless. Nothing has any meaning. Everything continues as it has been. The things that will be are the things that already are. Nothing changes. No matter what I do, nothing changes. I can't change anything. I can't impact anything in any meaningful way. You ever felt like that? I have. I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but if I were to quote Brother Louis L'Amour, I would say that he has a quote concerning this. I made as much difference as sticking your finger into a pool of water. When I pull it out, the hole that's left, that's the difference I made. <clears throat> People feel that way. Christians feel that way, and they ought not. It's a lie. But nevertheless, it feels so true. The preacher in Ecclesiastes felt this way. It's a fascinating book. At first blush, it seems to be agreeing with the, most of the secular philosophers of the ages in that life, when taken to its logical conclusion, appears absurd and senseless. And that's what all human philosophies lead to. We'll detail that out in our Wednesday classes. All human philosophies, every other philosophy other than biblical Christianity, leads to the conclusion that knowledge is impossible and that life is absurd and meaningless. 
every other one out there results in that, ultimately. Only biblical Christianity gives us hope. For now, you just have to take my word for it. I will demonstrate that the coming weeks. In uh, chapter 1, verse 11 of Ecclesiastes, we see that human achievement won't last and is forgotten by later generations. Why even try? Why even, why even try to achieve something? I'm going to be dead pretty soon, and it's going to pass to someone else who won't care, and eventually it will be forgotten altogether. In chapter 3, verse 16, we read, Injustice and wickedness are prevalent and often appear to go unpunished. So, live righteously, live unrighteously, doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter the choices I make, the direction I want to go, it just doesn't matter. And the dead end of self-sufficiency in chapter 6 is total despair. Total despair. Chapter 6, 12 says, For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Completely despondent. His vain life spent as a shadow. Who knows what's good? Who knows what I ought to do? This indeed is life lived apart from the only one that is able to give that life purpose, context, fulfillment. Now, what all belief systems, including Christianity, have in common is they seek to give an answer to these questions. They seek to answer these big questions. The evolutionists will tell you that, yeah, life is meaningless. We're not even supposed to be here. It's by pure random chance that we, we appeared on the scene in the first place. Chances were really good. We shouldn't have been here in, at all. What happens when we die? Well, we're, we're recycled into a fern or a goat or whatever. <clears throat> and we go into nothingness. So it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Christianity would answer them differently, wouldn't they? We have entirely different answers. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says this. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is why we believe that we have inherent self-worth, that we do have purpose, because we were created in the image of God. That has a whole, whole slew of meaning built into that statement. We are created by God with His divine attributes. Now, don't read too much into that. Okay, we, we're not made into God. We're not made God. Okay, but we do have His attributes. 
Okay, we are created as immortal beings. All of us are going to live forever somewhere. This is just one stage of that existence. I tell the kids at some point, to the Lord, Terry, you're going to plant me. And someone else is going to move on. This is going to go away. And I couldn't care less. Because this thing has given me so much problems and trouble. I fought this thing for so long. I'm ready to be done of it. When it's planted, good riddance. I'm thankful for it. I want to be a good steward of it. But when I'm done with it, I am so done with it. I'm not going to miss it. But the spiritual aspect of me, the eternal aspect of me is going to live on. That is a reflection of God's character. He is eternal. He has given us creative ability. Now, we can't speak things into existence out of nothing like he can. But we can take stuff. My girls. Kyla. can take a piece of chalk and write the most amazing things on the sidewalk. The most amazing pictures, drawings. The whole, the whole neighborhood is amazed by it. I can't do that. I can create other things. I can create stories. I can write stuff. I can't make drawings. Elena, same way. And Ryan, he's created this whole mythos, this whole storyline from his stuffed animals. We still do it today. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. But we can take we can take what's already there, lumps of, of uh raw materials, and we can make something of it. There are people that can take trees and, and, and metal and, and build a house with it. Brother Terry fastened all of these things here. Uh amazing stuff. We have that creative ability. No other, no other creature on planet Earth can do that. Can imagine something that doesn't exist yet, as if it already were, and then go and make that come to, into existence. We can do that because we were created in the image of God. We have free moral agency, just like God does. Now, God uses his perfectly. He uses his free will perfectly. He does what he wants when he wants, but it's always perfect. It's always good. We do what we want when we want, but it's not always good, is it? A lot of the times we, we, we mess up. We make bad choices. We go a wrong direction. But nonetheless, we have free moral agency, just like our creator. We have the ability to commune with God and to relate to him after salvation. We experience that full communion. Now, before salvation, we can experience the presence of God. That's what drew me to this in the first place. When I first came into a church service, I felt something I'd never felt before. I wasn't saved. I wasn't living right. But I felt God. So, of course, that means just because you feel the presence of God, don't think that that is carte blanche on your life, that God is approving of your life. That's not true at all. It's his mercy that allows us to feel the presence of God. And I felt it something fierce. 
Afterward, I had the ability to commune with him, to hear his voice. I could speak to him. I could claim the covenant promises that he's given me. I could build over a period of time a relationship with this Savior. Nobody else can do that except us, human beings. My dog Fido can't do that. My goldfish can't do that. Only we can. He has given us his laws, his precepts, which reflect his character, with the idea that we should, through obedience to the scriptures, also reflect his character. We are the only beings in all of creation that can reflect the image of God, because we were the only ones that were created in the image of God. Now, because of sin, that image is cracked and distorted. The mirror was broken. But you can still see a reflection. It's distorted. It's, it's, you see all the cracks, but you can still see the reflection of God in us. Because we were still created in his image. He places his attention and his focus on us. We see that in scripture itself. One chapter is given to all of creation. And with a few exceptional verses, every other verse in the book relates in some way, fashion, or form to you and me. It deals with humanity. There's just a few words talking about the whole expanse of the cosmos. And he made the stars also. One chapter on planet Earth. And basically, the rest of the book is about us. That ought to say something. The entirety of God's plan for our salvation from Genesis 3.15 to Christ's death on Calvary is because of his great and desperate love for us. And we read that all through Scripture. We see, we see God reaching out to humanity. We see God wooing them with cords of love. We see God trying to win us back, not through judgment or anger or rage. That's against sin, not against us. God loves us. He wants us separate from sin. He wants us separated unto himself, because that's where we're safe. That's where we're protected. From our first failing in the Garden of Eden, God looked forward to a day when his fellowship with us could be reestablished. We see him typified all through Scripture. A shepherd going out into the wilderness looking for us lost sheep. Not planet Earth, not the universe, not the environment. Not any of the animals, us. His focus is on us. He elevated us as the apple of his eye over all of creation. He would rule over his creation through us, and one day we're going to rule and reign together with him. He has a great purpose for us presently and a glorious future for us to look forward to. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
Revelation 20 and 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. We will have positions in his kingdom. And we will execute them perfectly. Praise God. Even the preacher in Ecclesiastes comes to the same conclusion. In chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, we read this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Okay, so having made the point of our worth, our self-worth, what about times where we do feel unnoticed, unimportant, unknown? This is a very real thing, and I think it has a purpose, by and large. I think there's a reason for that. And we see it exemplified all through Scripture. We see different men of God that were given exceeding good and precious promises. And then God gives them the exact opposite. How about Joseph? All your brethren are going to bow down to you. But then he gets sold into slavery. And then he gets thrown in prison. Not seeing the promise yet. Talk about feeling forgotten and all alone. But he was faithful. He continued to be faithful. And God kept elevating him wherever he was at. Until the point where God's promise came true. Just like that. In the space of probably a half an hour, he went from being a prisoner to the number two guy in all of Egypt. And it does happen just like that. Look at uh, Moses. Moses was supposed to be the deliverer. He was supposed to save God's people from Egypt. Next we read, he's on the run for his life. And he's at the backside of the desert for 40 years. 40 years. All alone. Forgotten. Surely they've forgotten me by now. I'm disqualified. What I did in Egypt, I'm sure that disqualified me. I This is what I'm going to be doing now. Forty years. Then he sees a burning bush. And then just like that, everything turns around. And he's now the lawgiver. The friend of God. Who talks with God face to face. King David. Promised the throne. Anointed to be king. Then he's running for his life. From Saul. Not just for a few months either. Several years he spent running from Saul. In caves. In the wilderness. Fearful for his life. The few men that stayed with him. At one point they wanted to stone him. This is a normal process. And you're going to feel alone. And you're going to feel forgotten. But let me encourage you as we close. Let me encourage you in this. Just like these men's lives turned around, so will yours. When the time is right, 
when God's purposes come, it will happen just like that. And God is going to remove you from your place of, of seeming obscurity, and he's going to plant you center stage. And let me say something else. When that day comes, we need you to be ready. This church, this town, this, this county, we need you to be ready when that day comes. Don't be discouraged. Don't let things just fall off because it's not going to matter anyway. It does matter. God is preparing you. God will not promote a novice. I'm not saying anyone here are novices. But what I am saying is the more preparation God puts in a person's life, the greater his plans are for that life. And if you're feeling like you're, you're in times of obscurity, if you're feeling like you're all alone and forgotten right now, there's a reason for that. God is getting you ready for something. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to whatever God, wherever God has you right now. I promise you with everything in me, that's going to change. And it'll change so fast it'll make your head spin. So be ready. When God calls, be ready. And see what God is going to do through you. Amen. Let's all stand. Another quote by C.S. Lewis says this, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been born in God's thought and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Understand that whatever we seem to be going through today, whatever situation, circumstance, could be having the best day of your life. I pray that's the case. But if not, if you're not having the best day of your life, Stay encouraged. God sees you. God knows exactly where you're at. He hasn't forgotten you. You're there for a reason. Trust in God. Continue to put your trust and your hope in Him. I promise you, I promise, I promise, at the day appointed, in the fullness of God's time, when you're ready, He is going to plant you center stage. We need you to be ready. This church needs you. Be ready. We have so much to do. We have such a great task in front of us. And it's important to get it all done. Amen. This altar is open if you feel so inclined. If not, uh, definitely feel free to alter in place.